Many of you are aware of that Alice, my wife, had a procedure on her foot, a right foot. It is the right foot, right? Because usually I don't pay attention a whole lot. It's, it's the right foot. And because of that, it's limited some of her uh, mobility. And even if she can do some things in the home, she shouldn't do it. So, uh, she's, so I've been picking up some of the things to help her out. Well, many of you are aware I'm, I'm not really skillful in a lot of things, a lot of areas, but not particularly skillful in the kitchen. Uh, but I've been doing my best. But sometimes, you know, you, when you prepare food, you have some leftovers. So then Alice instructs me what I'm supposed to do with the leftovers. Now, I'm the kind of guy, when you have leftovers, I, I turn to the aluminum foil. Because it's so much easier to tear, and you can use your hands and just crunch it around whatever needs to be covered. But Alice thinks I ought to, I ought to move on a little bit and uh, get a little, few more skills. So she, a lot of times, tries to get me to use the saran wrap uh, a process. Now, um, Saran wrap, I find, is a lot more difficult to use. And, and then I discovered just last night, this is so current, I just want to let you know, I just discovered this last night because she told me to saran wrap something and I tried to put aluminum foil on it. She said, no, no, I don't want you to put aluminum foil on it. So, so I, I went to the saran wrap again and I'm, I'm just yanking it on, yanking it and it just won't tear off, you know. So I get out the scissors and try to cut it. And if you ever tried scissors with aluminum foil, it doesn't work very well as well. And so finally I come and say, why do I have to do this? It just doesn't tear very easily. And she says, I don't understand that. All you have to do is just pull up and it rips. <laughs> pull up? I- I've been pulling down like you used aluminum foil. So for all my life, I've been trying to use a, uh, saran wrap by pulling down. And trust me, it does not work very well. And so... I just want to, I just want you to know, I can, this old dog can learn new tricks. I know how to use aluminum foil. Now, now the reason I share that is, among other things, I, I'm really, this is one of my life uh, pursuits, is I think we take ourselves way too seriously and not God seriously enough. And so it's, it's very easy to laugh at me when I, when I just look at things I do or don't do right. And as so we think about when you do things wrong, and, and I just noticed as I was coming in there, it does say on the box, tear across and up, but, but you know, things go wrong when you fail to read the instructions, all right, or, which I, I'm not afraid to ask people help, um, sometimes I just don't get around to doing it, but, you know, as soon as I ask Alice how to do it, it, it just changed my life forever, all right, <laughs> well, we're in a series in the book of Titus in which we're looking at instructions for God's church and also God's people. We've entitled the series, A Template for the Church. You could call it uh, a blueprint, you could call it uh, a guidelines, you could call it instructions, and it really tells us how we ought to do life together. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Titus, and if you're not sure where the book of Titus is, it's in the New Testament. You find the books that have, begin with the letter T, you got First and Second Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians, and then you have Titus. It's toward the end, if you find Revelation, you can turn to the left and you'll eventually run into it. And we're going to look at a few verses this morning which is kind of the, the finishing off of last Sunday. Last Sunday, we began to talk, look at what, what Paul said about what's wrong in many churches. In fact, even the churches that he helped plant, they didn't quite finish the task. And he says, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, Titus, I want you to go back, and I want you to straighten out what I didn't quite get straight enough. And he uses a term there in terms of straighten out, which we get from the word orthodontist or orthodontic work or orthopedic work. And so whether it's a bone or teeth that need to be straightened a little bit, he says that's true not only in our lives physically, but also in our lives spiritually, in our relationships with each other. 
And so he writes and he said, this is what needs to happen in those churches that we planted because things aren't going well. And it begins right where it should begin with leadership. He said, there are people in those churches that are influencing people in the wrong way rather than the right way. And just like trying to use saran wrap, if you're trying to pull the wrong way, it's not going to work. And if you've got leadership in the church that, that shouldn't be there, or in a broader sense, which I hope to look at applications for us all, if you've got people in your life that are influencing you in, the, in a good way, then you are blessed. But if you've got people in your life that are influencing you in the wrong way, then you, you need to do something about it. So in one sense, he, he deals with the positive. I mean, he, he got very pointed about what right leadership is all about. But here he says, you know, in case they didn't get it the first time, let me, let me preach it again. Here's, here's the right kind of leadership. Here are the right people in your life, and here are the wrong people in your life. And so we're going to look at this morning in, in a broad sense as well as a very pointed sense in terms of how that works out in the church. And so really what I want to do is I want to answer this question. What should you do with wrong people in your life? And you could also say, and in the church. And we need to be honest about ourselves as the church. And sometimes what people have, the impression of the church, the only, the only people who go to the church are perfect people. You know, the people always had their act together. And I couldn't go there. The roof would fall in, you know, the walls would crash, whatever it might be, because I can't quite measure up to them. You have those people who, who put church people on the pedestal, and then you have people who know people who go to church, and they say, well, I don't want to go to that church because they're all hypocrites. You know, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to join that crowd. And, and really the reality is, and we've said this before, the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. We're, we're on a journey. We're on a journey together. And, and the way to do that journey well is to know where, where you're headed and how to get there. And so God gives us instructions. And that's what he is doing here for the church. It's a template for the church. It's a blueprint. It's a it's instructions to how, how to make it happen. And that's true as we do life together in this place called the church, but also throughout life, whether it's at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, whatever it might be, with people that you call your friends or, or people who are surround, you, you surround yourself with or they surround themselves with you. And what do you do about it? You need to pursue right relationships with people who are going to influence you in a positive way and then you need to have a strategy. What do you do with people who are going to influence you in the, in the wrong way? And so we're going to look at that this morning. So if you have Bibles, Titus chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 10, and we'll finish that chapter this morning. We'll go from 10 to verse 16. And I'm going to try to give you some points to, to kind of hang some of the things we're trying sharing this morning. As Paul gives instruction to Titus, a good friend that, that has uh, just a job to do, going to a place that is not going to be easy, but with God's help and God's instructions, he's going to be able to really give help to the church. And so to begin with, what should you do with wrong people in your life? And let me state the point, and then we'll see it in the text. You must intentionally silence them if they're wrong people in your life. If they're speaking in your life and it's, it's heading you down a wrong direction and they're influencing you to actually go down that wrong direction, you need to do whatever it's possible to, to silence that voice that's in your head in your life. And this is what Paul says, or how he says, and he says it pretty plainly. He says, for there are many rebellious men. You know, what preachers do a lot when they read the text, they want to focus on every little words in the text. But even that simple thing in the text, for he didn't say there's just a couple out there. You might run into some people that might be, you know, not the most positive influencer, right? There are many out there. There are many, and he describes it, many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers 
And then he even describes the type of people that were affecting them, especially those of the circumcision. Now, the Bible is not a mysterious book in, in terms of it's got code words that unless you have this, this secret you know, way to look at the text, you'll never get it. The circumcision, is this another way to say, these are the people who come from the Jewish faith that were circumcised. But he's not just saying people who are just Jewish, but people who have infiltrated the church, and what they're trying to do is bring their Judaism into the church and say, I want Jesus plus all that I learned in the Jewish faith, what God done, did in the past. So he says there are, there are rebellious people, empty talk receivers, and those of the circumcision. And then this is what he says by way of action plan. Who must be silenced? He doesn't mince words there, does he? You gotta, you gotta stop them from speaking in your life and other people's lives. Who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. That word for families is, is a word that we, we try to use a lot around Grace Hills Church. They're upsetting whole oikoses, households. They're not just influencing individuals, but groups of people. And some of those churches were house churches. They're influencing whole assemblies of God. And what are they doing? They're teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. And so basically what he's saying, one of the ways you can determine whether a person is influencing you in the wrong way, and part of that is looking what way you're going, is it according to God's way. But secondly, what's the motive of, of people around you are doing that? You know, follow the, you know, there's, there's movies and TV programs, you know, follow the what? Follow the money. You know, what, what are they getting out of it? And if somehow they're getting something out of it, then you need to have a red flag go up in your head is, I, I need to watch out for this person or persons because they're not doing it because they want to be helped. They're doing it for whatever reason, for power, for, for uh, people putting them on a pedestal, or they're looking for the money, whatever it might be. It's a sword and gain. And so we need a silence. And let me just speak about the word silence. It's a pretty colorful word in the original language. It really means put a muzzle on somebody. You know, put something in their mouth where they can't speak anymore. Um, and I was going to share this introduction, but I already had too long of an introduction anyway. Is that when we were dealing last week with getting leadership right, uh, in one of the Bible studies I was in, this or life groups this past week, one of the and they're here this morning, they, they said, well, how, come, how come churches don't get this right? It, it seems to be so clear. I mean, this is, this is who ought to be leading the church. And, you know, I didn't give a great answer that day, and I probably don't have a great answer today as well. But, you know, it happens more often than we would want to admit in the church. When, when God is so clear, he, he didn't stutter. There's certain character qualities. There's certain core competencies that ought to be true in people who lead the church then why does, it, why does it get wrong so often? Uh, just this past week, Christianity Today, they, they, they've been doing a series on some controversies in a particular church. It's a massive church. It's Harvest Bible Chapel. And I won't give the, the pastor's full name, but his first name is James. And for 30 years, he's led this church and other churches they planted in enormous growth. But in recent days, things have come out where they begin to realize that he might be very gifted, this Pastor James, but his character qualities are so far from what God has said needs to be true about people who lead the church. 
See, it's not only what we're able to do, but how do we do it? And, and the model that he was giving was destructive. In fact, just reading an excerpt from this, this is what had to happen this past week. In a sorrowful way, the, the leaders, the lay leaders of the church that Pastor James has led for 30 years have announced that they've taken immediate action on Tuesday to end his 30-year tenure. And they said, following a lengthy season review, reflection, and prayerful discussion, we've determined that our pastor should be removed from his role of leading this church. And he said, the timeline has been accelerated because we've been trying to, to do it in the best possible way, but his, his highly inappropriate recorded comments given to the media and to other people, it was put on tape, have now been made public. And in another article, it was said, as they looked at the passage that we've been looking at, in Titus chapter 1, as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and they added 1 Peter chapter 5, which we read over our elders last Sunday, that in around 20 or so character qualities, he failed at most of them. I had the opportunity, actually about a month ago, when I was in Israel, there was a, a pastor of a church, they had just been at his, his church now for about a couple of years, and he just happened to mention he used to be on staff of that church, and some of this was going on a little bit. And I said, well, what was it like to, to serve in that church? Well, he said, this pastor, Jane, very gifted, but not a nice person, very mean-spirited and harsh with everyone that didn't agree with him. And so they had to come to their place as a church, and they were honest about it, that they should have done it a long time ago. But they ignored what God had said clearly. And so what they've had to do is silence him and even get the word out to other churches, he's not right now qualified to speak in your pulpits. And so as, as Paul was writing to Titus and telling them the positive things they ought to pursue for people in leadership, he, he then says, okay, in case you don't look at, you can't understand it from the positive perspective, now let's look at it at the negative perspective. And, and what are the kind of people you have to muzzle that are going to influence you in a negative way? Well, people who are rebellious. And it doesn't take a whole lot to kind of play with that term a little bit to see how destructive that could be. That, that's people who are unruly, who who like to give instructions, but they don't like to what? Receive them. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the person, and we all sometimes fall into this, at least mentally, if we don't say it verbally. Well, don't do, what I, don't do what I do, but do what I say. What is that? Now, you know, you know I, I, I preach a better lifestyle than I live, but let me tell you, I try everything I do to try to live it out. It just breaks my heart when, when people just openly, they, they preach one thing, but they, they're not accountable for anything. And that's what was happening here. They were, they were rebellious because commandments or instructions or principles were true for others, but not for themselves. They're empty talkers, vain talkers. Different translations will, will put it various ways. They, they talk a good game, but they don't live it. And some of them are very eloquent. But then if you look a little bit deeper, you, see, you only see hypocrisy. And when, again, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about direction. 
uh, this individual, as, as it came out, those who were accusing him, he, he wanted to, to take them to, to court for slander, which breaks another clear biblical principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But it was all about himself. And so you, you need to be very aware that there are those out there who do that. They're, they're deceivers. And this is, this is an interesting word in so many different ways applied throughout Scripture. But these, these people who are, they are misled in their own mind, and then they mislead other people in their minds. Either consciously or unconsciously, they're leading people down the wrong path. And so, so Paul is pleading with Titus to, to tell the churches, be aware that there are those in your midst that you have to decide to muzzle, to silence, to keep them from speaking to others. I've been in situations where, to put it in a, in a graphic way, where, where people were bipolar. I have a really good friend I grew up with, and and when you're around bipolar people, and this is a physical thing almost, but when they're in their, their uh, depressed state, they'll go in the rooms and they won't come out for days. But when they're in their manic state, if you've ever been around a person who's their manic, they will not stop talking. I mean, not ever. I mean, they will, it'll be an ongoing verbiage everywhere. You know, I... I Sometimes, you know, other than, with, other than saran wrap, I think I can fix a lot of things. So, you know, I, I thought, I'm going to intervene here. And, and when I started talking, they just thrust their hand and put it over my mouth. This is not your turn to talk. This is my turn to talk. And it had been going on for days. And, and so as we think about people speaking, sometimes we got to do whatever it takes to, to stop. And particularly if they're influenced in the wrong way. And we need to ask ourselves the question, who is it in our lives that are leading us down the wrong path? And then when he talked about circumcision, particularly what was happening there is part of the problem there. They had a, from both sides, both those who came from a Jewish perspective and some who did not come from a Jewish perspective. What were they trying to teach? That you need to go back and obey the law. You, you need to take all those Civil and ceremonial, as well as moral laws, the Old Testament. And if you're really going to be spiritual, you've got to do all those things. And Jesus called, in fact, Jesus saved his harshest words for those who were too religious. They, they were missing the point. And they were, they were more concerned about how they washed their hands than what they put into their life that would draw them close to God. And so as we think about not only getting leadership right, but Getting leadership wrong, we need to be aware there are certain people that can influence others to the point where we've got to step in and say, what you are teaching, what you're speaking about is not true. Now, it's all for the desire to, to draw them back to true faith or to turn them to true faith. But if they will not listen, then they don't get a platform, whether in a small group basis or a large group basis. And even on a one-on-one, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. Getting leadership wrong. You must intentionally silence some people that will speak in your life. I want to look at, though, however, I don't want to leave it just on a downer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple passages, Lord willing, in this message this morning. But in Colossians chapter 2, 
Uh, now I actually begin at verse 8. I think I have it in verse 9 in your, tech, in your outline. But it says, Paul is writing the church there. Say, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. Which basically people are saying, you know, if you really are spiritual, this is what you got to do or not do. And, and you try, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, I, I understand a little bit more than you do. And so they start adding all these things to what the Bible has to say. And he said, oh, before, you need to understand that it's all about Christ. He goes in verse 9, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. You have to be very aware of people saying you need to have this experience, you need to have this gift, you need to have, be able to do this or, or practice this certain discipline, spiritual discipline, if you're really going to be spiritual. Well, if it's not in the Bible, clearly, then don't listen to that. Because in Christ we're complete. And he says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And God used that which he did in the Old Testament to point toward Christ. And circumcision was a symbol that God used to, to announce to his people that they were to be different, a peculiar people. They were to be marked by him. But he said that external object lesson is now to be an internal object lesson that we are marked by Jesus. And what, pe- what people ought to see is not have we had some mark on our life physically, but what has happened to us spiritually. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and working of God who raised him from the dead. We have the resurrection power of Christ in our lives. So don't look for external things to make you closer to Christ, but look to Jesus who lives within you, and allow his word to penetrate your life and transform you from the inside out. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's not a mystery. It's not easy, but it's not a mystery. It's the word of God flowing through our life, applied by the Spirit of God, and we work it out with others around us who have, are like-minded, who want to live for Jesus and apply His Word, and, are, and will struggle with us as we struggle with applying it. And that's, that's the key to the Christian life, allowing the Word of God to transform you from the inside out and the Spirit of God empowering you to live it out. But Paul moves on. He wants to really get, hit this point home. And so then I would say this. Then he, then he said, you, you must see them for who they are. And he already described them, but then he goes on a little bit further. And we, we read this verse last week, but in Titus uh, chapter 1, Paul writes this. Uh, one of themselves, he's speaking about the people he just talked about, rebellious and deceivers and empty talkers. One of them themselves, a prophet of their own, probably a, a man named Epimenes, who in the 6th century B.C. wrote this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And I think last week I said, how would you like that on your tombstone? You know, Mike Johnson, who was he? He was a liar. <laughs> you know, he was, uh, he was a lazy glutton, and he was an evil beast. You know, sometimes we need to realize that as we are aware of what could be destructive in our lives, we have to, we have to name what is destructive in our life and saying that's evil, that's a lie. That's going to cause me to go down the wrong path. And he described these men that way. 
And you're going to look at some passages if you do the Bible study this, this next week in which Paul names other people this way as well. And we, we could go to passages where Jesus, he, again, he would call people, you're just a whitewashed wall. You look at good on the outside, but on the inside, you're just nothing. And, and so sometimes we, we need to name what's wrong. You know, liars. That, that, that's people who are incapable of telling the truth. And some people do it consciously and some people do it unconsciously. Have you met some people... You know, you know what they're saying is not true, but as you're watching them saying it, I get convinced they really believe it. I mean, they're saying it strongly with passion, and, and they've become such a good liar, they, they've lied to themselves. And, and so you've got to be able to detect that. Sincerity does not necessarily mean truth. Evil beast. This was, the word for evil is kaka in the Greek, and it, it really it kind of sounds like it, you know, like it is. This is, this, is, this is something that's incapable of doing anything that's good or beneficial. A beast, and there's a word in the Greek where it speaks about just living creatures, but here a beast is something that's venomous and poisonous. There are people in our lives or our kids' lives or our friends' lives or our church's lives that, that are venomous. It will, it will poison our, our, our lives. And so Paul, who, who elevated the qualities of elders in, in ways that we could respect them and follow them because they're, they're living out the faith, he said, look, not, not everyone's like that. And you, you can't put your head in the sand that there are those who will be destructive. They're liars. They're, they're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. And that really just make, there, there are people who, will, who, who, who are really good at trying to get other people to do work, but you look around and they're not doing it. And if you have people who aren't trying to live out what they're trying to get other people to live out, again, you cannot listen to them. And so what are we saying here is that it, it's all right to make judgments on people's lives. But turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 or, or listen as I read it. One of the questions in your life groups this week will deal a little bit with this, but you know, the one who said, do not judge lest you too be judged, he made a lot of judgments while he was here. So that, that passage can't mean we never make judgments. We shouldn't be judgmental, but we, should, we have to make judgments. In Matthew 7, we have Jesus saying, saying these words, beginning at verse 15, beware of the false prophets. You have to make a judgment if you call one prophet a false prophet. It means he's not, he's not a good prophet because he's a false prophet. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look good on the outside, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. This is how you make that judgment. Just look at their life. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. In the past, I've told you, I've had three or four orange trees I've planted at my house. None of them bore fruit. I did not call them good fruit trees, all right? <laughs> they were horrible fruit trees. And it might have been what I did to them. I don't know what, but I didn't get any oranges from them. And that's what he's saying. Look, at it. if someone says they're following Jesus, then they ought to act a little bit like who? Jesus. A, a good tree cannot pr- produce bad fruit, or, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. So as we look at people in the church, as we look at people in our lives, we need to be 
aware that there are people who will influence us down the wrong path, and we need to be aware of that. Now, if you're like me, I'm thinking, yeah, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't seem to fit with the other parts of Scripture. Now what am I supposed to do with that part? And let me, uh, let me read the section, then I'll make the, make the point that, that's in your outline. In verse 13, after he, after he, he just calls it like it is, doesn't he? I mean, he, he doesn't mince words here. And so did, so did not Jesus as well. In verse 13, he said, this testimony is true. I almost laugh every time I read something like this in the Bible. This testimony is true. Why does he have to say that? I mean, most of us would say who seem to like this book, we would think that everything in this book is what? True, right? I'm glad you got that right answer, okay? We think, well, you have to say it's true. <laughs> All of it's supposed to be true. It's like when Jesus said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. Why'd you have to say that? I mean, I thought everything you said is true. Now, I really think the reason it said it that, it's stated that way in some, some passages is because what has just been said or what is going to be said is going to be hard to believe. This is really true. And what I've just talked about, there are people out there who are rebellious. There are people who are out there to get you. You're not paranoid. That is true. Not everybody out there is trying to get you, but there are some people trying to get you spiritually. So this testimony is true. For this reason, and then he gets down to the application. For this reason, reprove them severely. So it's not only silence them, not only correct them, but correct them with passion. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. And I think, oh, wait a minute. You know, um, when um, the, the fleshly, fleshly part of my nature comes out where, you know, I, you know, the, you know when I just want to, you know, tell people what I want to tell them, you know, in a, in a mean-spirited way. None of you ever think that way, Right? They say, you know, when you just get, you just get so agitated, you get so emotional, and you're just, you're just going to let it fly, right? And, and, and if I were to really check my motives at that point, my motive probably is, you know, I, I hope they really feel bad after I say this. I want them to feel horrible. I want them to, I want them to bleed on the I'm not really that bad. But anyway, you know, maybe a couple times I've done it. You know what? You really want to just let it out and just make that person just feel the terror of what they've done, in your opinion, that was so horrific. And there's a place for the judgment of, of our words in people's lives. But, but here we see there's a greater motive. He says, reprove them severely so that they, be, may be, be, that they may be sound in the faith. Really, when, when we really appropriately correct people, it, it, it's not to hurt them. It, it's, it's not to just make us right and them wrong. It's not to, to win the argument. It's not to appear smarter than them. It's a, I, I'm, I'm saying these things that I want to help them. I, I want to take their faith, which is not sound. And I shared with you earlier about this, this word sound with sound doctrine. It means I, I want their faith or the, what they believe in is true, their doctrine, to be sound. And the word here is, is a word from which we get being hygienic. I want, I want what they believe to be healthy. I want them to believe the truth because this is what's good for them. And so whenever we correct someone, it's for the purpose of, of either bringing them back to the Lord or, or turning them to the Lord. I, I, I'm, not tr- I'm not there to condemn them. I'm not there to be their judge. God is their judge. But I'm saying words to help them, to bring them back. Does that make sense? And so i got to always check my motive. Why am I saying this? I'm not saying this to let off steam. 
I'm trying to warn them that you're going down the wrong path and you're leading other people down the wrong path, but I want to now influence you as you've been influencing others. Reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Isn't it true that you've heard this cliche, hurt people do what? Hurt people, right? Uh, often, often at times when we want to be so angry at people and the horrific things they do, and if we look back into their history, we find out the things that they're doing that are hurting others, people have done that to them. Isn't that true? When we remember that, it should provoke a little compassion, right? Now, they're, they're still responsible for what they do. doesn't matter why you do what you do. If you're hurting people, it's got to be dealt with. But when we realize they've probably been hurt, then we've got to have compassion for them. And let's look about deceived people that are deceiving others. And in the vast majority, those who are deceiving others have been what? Deceived. So what we're trying to do is bring truth to the whole program here and say, well, how, you know, I'm saying this strongly, but you're going down the wrong path, and here's the right path. And then he puts out a couple very simple things here. And, and this is really the point I want to make in point number three is, is you look at this passage, this is how I would wrestle it. You must influence them rather than them influence you. And, and this is where we, we can realize we don't always have to be on the defensive. You know, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't, I, there are certain people for a variety of reasons, and this is not the message I'm going to give you all the, you know, my points on how you discern whether you feel you can, can influence them or whether they're only going to influence you. And there's some, some wise things to think that through. But, you know, my, my passion for us all is that we get to the point that we're so strong in our faith, our faith is so sound and healthy, that when people are giving out that which is not true, we run to say, how can I help them know what the truth is? That makes sense? Because either people will influence you or you'll influence them. And what we want to come to that point is, hey, I'm not afraid of being in any environment because I'm there to be on the offense. Not in a, not in a hurtful way, but a helpful way. Not, not to always just win the argument. We, sometimes all we need to do is try to get make people think. I mean, they're not thinking. Maybe I can say something to them that will make them think or help them think. And so we want to be passionate about how can I influence people to go down the right path so they can have sound faith. Now, on your outline, I just put a couple fill-in-the-blanks here. Is One, we, first of all, have to be sound in the faith. Would you agree? I can't help someone until I'm at a place where I can help them. That's why we are responsible for our lives spiritually. We, if, if we're, as, we're as strong in the Lord as we want to be. Wherever we are now, where are we going to be next month, a year from now, five years from now, until the Lord returns, we can get stronger, but we have to, we have to make the effort to be more healthy spiritually. So if we're sound in the faith, we can help other people to be healthy in the faith. And then secondly, part of that is realize our faith should not be based on the commandments or traditions of other people. To put it simply, if it's not in this book, don't hold on to it very tightly. We've all been raised a certain way. We've all had certain traditions or experiences we have, and they're very important to us. But we have to examine, is that really in the Bible? I mean, you can, you can, it's all right to have your preferences, but it's, it's only what's in here is important. And why was Jesus so good at that? 
You know, he was criticized probably more than anything else for being a lover of sinners, right? Tax gatherers, prostitutes, and, and those who just, the, Jew, the religious folks said, yeah, how can you spend time with them? And that's who he liked to spend time with because he was always on mission. Luke 19.10, Jesus came, not to, Jesus came uh, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we ought to have a heart for people far from God. We ought to always be on mission. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're people we want to love to Christ. Now, we need to be careful how, how they're influencing us, and we need to realize that we need to influence them. There might be a stage in our life where that, that's not the mission I should be on. If, if, if I'm an alcoholic, I probably would say your mission is not to the bars, okay? That's probably not a safe place for you to be. But there are many places where you can be where what they're doing is not going to tempt you. But we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in things that aren't important. Colossians chapter 2. Turn back to that. Colossians chapter 2. There's so many ways back then and today people just get caught up in stuff that just isn't important. Colossians 2. It would be good if I turned to it. Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. He gives a pretty good list here that we need to be aware of. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. I mean, there are people who go great debates. You know, what day should you, should you worship? Should you worship on a Saturday or a Sunday? Now, personally, I don't care whether you worship on a Saturday or Sunday, but I do care if you say you can only worship on Saturday. There's a group called Seventh-day Baptists, okay. And they're thinking, yeah, you're more spiritual if you do it on the Sabbath. The problem with that, that's not in the Bible. And it's pretty plain right here. Don't, don't let anybody judge you. What, what, is, what is a better day to worship on? Things which are a mere shadow, what is to come? But the, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement in the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a, with a growth which is from God. It's all by Christ, and don't, don't get caught up in these other things. Self-abasement. We're, we're going to be entering a season pretty soon uh, uh, where we're approaching Easter. And, and there's a whole group of people in the religious world that are going to say, what are you doing for Lent? Have you ever had anybody ask you that question? Now, I don't care if people want to observe Lent, but it's not in the what? In the Bible. So if you decide that you're going to be more spiritual because you're giving up chocolate for 40 days, go ahead and give up chocolate for 40 days. But let me tell you, I, I have my doubts that's going to draw you closer to Jesus. It might, you might lose a few pounds. That might be good. If you want, you want to get close to Jesus, spend time, more time in His Word or in prayer. Now, if... And again, it's a tradition. It's all right. You have that tradition. I'm not knocking you. If you have, well, I was kind of knocking you, but I'm not, I'm not trying to knock you if that was tradition. It, it can be used in a good way, but don't impose it on other people. Does that make sense? I mean, it's all right to ask the question, but I say, I'm not doing anything for Lent. Then, then I'll say, oh, you're not very spiritual. You know, if it's in the Bible, fine, do it. But if it's not in the Bible, if it works for you, there's all kinds of spiritual disciplines. And if, if that's helpful, um, I watch my time. Uh, there's all kinds, like journaling, journaling. Anybody heard about, you know, the whole discipline of journaling? And part of journaling is uh, some people who just, you know, they, uh, and I think journaling is great. I just, I'm just not very good at it, and all it does is get me irritated when I journal. Okay, it's like, 
that they write out all their prayers in very elaborate ways. I think that's awesome. I mean, and I, when I read, I'm delighted that, but for me, it just gets me frustrated. Now, I do pray, just want to let you know, but, you know, writing out my prayers is just, you know, I failed poetry, okay? You know, whatever is that, you know what I'm saying here? Is do what works for you, but don't impose it on other people because I don't know any verse in the Bible that says you've got to do journaling. You need to be praying, and, I, and I'm amazed at people who can write that way, but are you, am I getting the flow here? Are you getting what I'm saying here? Um, the positive thing, verse 20. If you have died with Christ, the elementary principles of the word, why is if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to such to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with, with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure of the appearance of wisdom, sounds good, in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And there's going to be some things that work for you, but doesn't work for others. And there's some things I, I cut out because it's not good for me. I, long time ago, I cut out you know, taking the newspaper because I spent too much time on the sports page. Now, I would never impose that on somebody else, but I, you think I memorized a lot of verses. I had just about every statistic in baseball and basketball and football na- nailed down. I mean, just I memorized it. I go, what in the world am I doing? Now, the rest of you, you could probably do that. It doesn't bother you, but I, you know, I had to remove myself from... I haven't done ESPN quite yet, but anyway, the... Uh, the, the you know, I, I, the, you, know, I, I, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so don't let people put things on you that aren't in the Bible. There's plenty. I really like what Mark Twain says. I've said this to, to you many times. It's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the things in the Bible that does. There's plenty of challenges in here, okay? So, as we think about getting leadership right, that's what was last week about, what's getting leadership wrong. It's in the church, but it's also how we live out our life. Is number one, there's certain people in our life we need to silence. Say, look, I don't need to be listening to that anymore. Secondly, I need to realize I need to call it like it is. There are certain people in my in my life that are, they are evil beasts, liars, and and they are they are causing me to fall into an idle lifestyle with my walk with Jesus. And let me just say that there. Are, there are certain ways that we can do that with people when people say, well, it's not that really important to go to church, not that important to read the Bible, not that important to tell people about Jesus, and we fall into that pattern because that's what they're doing. You know, don't, don't allow that to influence you. You know, thirdly, is let's be people who influence others rather than influencing us. And there might be some people we say, I, I can't get close to that because they're, they're, they're too tempting for me. That's all right. But let's be influencers. And then finally, just look in the last two verses. Is you, and we can say we, I'm always trying to include myself in this. You must demonstrate who you are in Christ. This is a great passage in, in Titus chapter 2 that I want to just explain very, very quickly. As, as Paul says some amazing things, he says, To be pure, all things, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled, which simply says, look, if you're really walking with Jesus and he's not one in your life, he, he has made you a, a new person on the inside. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is about. It's in your text. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. All those things that pass have gone. we got new things. And when you're living that out, everything you do can be pure. But if you don't know Jesus, then you haven't got to first base yet. You ever, you ever play t-ball, watch t-ball, or play t-ball? 
when they first play, they hit the ball, and they run to third base first. Okay, and then they run to second base. And as far as I know, it still doesn't count when you, when you wrong the one, run, run the wrong way. And so you got to get it right at the very beginning. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And what are you saying here on a positive side? Look at those of you who know Jesus, who are pure on the inside, not because you're so good, because he's so good, and he has given you the righteousness of Christ. I mean, he has, he has transformed you completely on the inside. Then live that out, what he has done. We live from the inside out. And then also be aware, if that's not true, recognize you haven't got to first base yet. And some people might be impressed by your religiosity, but God, God sees through that. And in Galatians 3, he, he says, look, why are you so quick to go back to the law, to, to somehow make yourself worthy before God through your own efforts? Did, did you get to Jesus that way, by the works of your own flesh or by the Spirit? It's the Spirit of God that draws us to himself. And really, if we want to have a measuring stick, it's that familiar passage in Galatians 5. What's the fruit of someone being really pure in their relationship with God? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he said, oh, by the way, there's no law against that, is there? That's the stuff that we ought to pursue by the power of the Spirit in our life. And we need to recognize, that means, you know, we got to crucify the flesh. We can't say no to the things that sometimes we selfishly want to do and say yes to the, the Spirit who says things He wants us to do. But that's, that's the Christian life. So what's the point this morning? What's the so what? The so what for all of us? Are, are we influencing or are we influenced? And that's a choice every day we make. Am I going to begin to say, how, how can I help others have sound, healthy faith? Or is my faith going to be eroded because I'm listening to the wrong voices out there? Let, let's be on mission. Realize that God has given us everything we need to, to live out the faith. And as we do it collectively, we find people in our life that, that, that model that, and we want to follow their model. And they never do it perfectly, but follow his blueprint by getting leadership right and not getting it wrong as we follow after the one who is right and is true, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are the one that we pursue. And you are the one who said, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free, free to be who you have created us to be. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that they've come in and we've been talking to the church, but we're talking to every life here as well, that, that Jesus invites all of us to come into commitment and surrender and faith and what he's done for us. And when we pray and open up our lives to Jesus, that, Lord, I want to follow you, I believe in you and what you've done, then we begin that journey. And as we've begun that journey, help us to continue it, to live it out in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.